The time's now 7.32, and it was Japan's 126th Emperor Naruhito who was formally enthroned yesterday in front of 2,000 guests from 170 countries, including South Korean Prime Minister Inagyan. Incidentally, the government there granted pardons to more than half a million people found guilty of petty crimes. But what's the significance of this kind of ceremony beyond that? in the modern era especially. Let's ask Professor Nancy Snow from Kyoto University of Foreign Studies. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Well, good. Thank you. I hope all's well with you as well. Perhaps we can start with that very question of the significance of the ceremony. What's your view? Uh, Well, it goes back, I think, uh, well over a thousand years. So it has a great significance in Japanese history and culture. And also, we can't forget, even though there have been some questions raised about the costs of all of this in the abdication and then transition to the new emperor, that uh, this is a major tourist attraction, too, for Japan to have the uh, imperial family. But what it meant significantly and historically yesterday was the continuity of the imperial family. Japan, of course making the case that it's the longest-serving hereditary monarchy in history. So this is to show that this is going to continue uh, going forward, even in a reduced royal family. Right. It's um, clearly a tradition they're not about to get rid of. There's... um a, a, a kind of similarity with some of the points people make around the, say, the British royal family with uh, the tourist attraction being very strong. Right. But, but a distinction is that the Japanese monarchs are called emperors and empresses, not kings and queens. Right. Is that particularly right. interesting? Uh, I, I don't really even think about that too often. Uh, you know, uh, king and queen, it is a different role for them given the... Uh, history of the end of World War II and the changes uh, that were made in the 1947 uh, Constitution that the U.S., of course, drafted for Japan. So um, emperor and empress versus sort of the British royalty, you can make some comparisons. Uh, But I think that, uh, at least in the words of the emperor and then of uh, Shinzo Abe yesterday, it was all about, you know, promoting peace and this harmonious era that we're in and and people can can look into that a little deeper as we go forward right i I mean i guess one distinction is that if we think of the 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 more distasteful aspects of british monarchy you've got to go back quite a long way uh whereas of course we've got the japanese imperial era within living memory of 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 many people alive today and, and and um and it's hard to sort of completely separate the emperor from that, uh, even, even right. if, of course, today it's very different than, than just a few decades ago. But is that uh, a connection they're, they're keen to, to now distinguish? Well, I think that, you know, it, it really made a difference, the uh, long reign, the Heisei reign of uh, Akihito and Empress Michiko. I think they were very, very popular, and their style was certainly to connect more with the people, especially during crisis and times of natural disaster. And it's interesting now with this new emperor that he has this great interest, a scholarly interest, in the waterways and in the relationship between people and water and the sea and so on. So this 
sort of makes it possible for him going forward to give speeches related to sustainability. He's already given a famous speech back in 2013. Maybe people didn't notice it, but it was at the United Nations, and he was the first in the uh, Japanese uh, uh, imperial household to give such a speech at the UN. So I think that people are thinking more towards the future rather than the past, and uh, it's when you get into some of the political discussions or the costs involved that uh, people think about kind of the relevance of all of this. Right. Um, Moving on to this idea of the emperor being a a vessel of peace, does that clash with the prime minister Shinzo Abe's goal of remilitarizing the country? Well, that that made for an interesting visual yesterday uh, with the uh, with the cannons uh, <laughs> that that picture after these words of peace and harmony. Um, you know, Shinzo Abe has been absolutely clear that he wants to make these changes to Japan's constitution. He has to work pretty hard to do that because so far. The Japanese people are quite satisfied with the peace brand for Japan and with the peace constitution. And the the numbers are still a majority in favor of not tinkering with it. Uh, it, it depends on where these uh, tensions arise. And um, this part of the world, Northeast Asia, always has tension. But do we really want to see a remilitarized Japan um, we have to we have to have that discussion yesterday we weren't having that discussion and but I think we're going to very quickly have it uh, as we move on even there's been some talk of a snap election that that Abe would have but that wasn't his role yesterday he was there really as a representative for the people and the people are in favor of keeping things as they are as I often say to my Japanese students, it's sort of be careful what you wish for, because if you really want to so-called normalize Japan, then that's going to change the whole dynamic and the impression that people have about nation brand Japan. I think it might even change uh, people's feelings about coming to Japan as a tourist. Uh, whenever I meet people who are here for the first time, they talk about the... Um, the peacefulness of this country and uh, the serenity. And and that really works its way all the way up into uh, the government and yeah. the impression of the government and the Constitution. And, and actually, this reminds me of something I briefly mentioned on the radio a few days ago that, um, that, that broadcasters like the BBC have been highlighting in their podcast covering the Rugby World Cup. They, they've been kind of having these famous figures... Uh, encountering Japan in some cases for the first time. So they've been really talking about the politeness of the people, the warm welcome they've been getting with this freshness, which is, it's nice to hear. It's enthusiastic, right? Um, But, um, but part of that, like you say, comes with the, with the soft power Japan has and, and, and the peaceful nature. But Prime Minister Abe, if you get to know him and his politics, it, it doesn't match that image exactly. Um, will he give a warm welcome to Prime Minister Inagyan, though, do you think, tomorrow? Well, he's already uh, 
had meetings, I think, earlier this week. He's meeting with about 50 or conducting 15 bilateral meetings. Uh, I would assume that it would be a warm greeting. I mean, this is an opportunity to have some good discussion and dialogue. Uh, I know that Abe is a divisive figure, and I've certainly commented on on his role here as as the uh, prime minister and uh, have not been in favor of changing Japan's peace constitution. So uh, I I would hope, though, that he would use this this moment where there's a feeling of celebration to have um, some discussion that's really mutually beneficial. We'll have to see. But I, but I can also sense that many Koreans, if they were listening to people singing the praise of Japan, would want to scream out, but what about all this, this past that, that that's still an open wound, again, for many people here? Um, well, let me tell you, yeah. that's very true. And last week I, I spent uh, the last day of the... Uh, the Aichi, the uh, art festival mm. uh, that had become so controversial and divisive because it had the freedom of expression with the question mark exhibit that included the um, <clears throat> child of peace, the comfort woman statue. And remember that was pulled, that exhibit was pulled and pulled out and closed. And then the last week there was an announcement that it would be reopened. And I actually uh, attended that and wrote about it uh, for Nikkei Asian Review. Um, and I, I was really struck by that, that uh, there, are, there are certainly critical conversations that we need to be having. There's no doubt about it. And, um, and, and especially between Korea and Japan. And as somebody who goes back and forth, and I go to Seoul quite regularly, uh, I, I wish that we could have more openness about that. You know, part of the politeness here in Japan is we don't always get to those conversations, and there's a lot of conflict avoidance. And uh, But I was happy to see such a crowd last week on the last day, and it was predominantly almost all Japanese people hoping to get a glimpse at this uh, exhibit that had been pulled. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's great interest in free expression and freedom of speech, and I just hope that we can have these more open conversations. Uh, as you know, the comfort woman discussion is not an everyday topic of co- conversation no. here in Japan. No. Um, but again, what can we expect from Prime Minister Inagyan? He's he's not the president of South Korea, but he has this, this connection to to Tokyo. He, he's been a correspondent in Japan, for example, in the past. And, and it's hoped here that he can somehow find a way to to trigger a thaw. But 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 it also seems yeah. to me like we're at total loggerheads. I know. Well, I mean, this is certainly Korea and Japan right now. This has been going on, this kind of showdown now, uh, rhetorically and uh, in terms of trade and so many other tensions. It's uh, it's at a new low, it seems like, in the last several months, and it's extended from the summer into the fall. So I'm not sure if we can put too much into tomorrow's conversation, but I, I certainly hope that they can make some headway. This is a, kind of a big moment, uh, and I think a lot of people will be uh, looking at um, 
what comes out of that meeting. I mean, we hear so much more about Moon in South Korea and less, less with the uh, president. So um, uh, I'll be curious just as much as, as you are. Right. Uh, just a quick question on how other factors might play into this. I, I sense that what's happening in the domestic arena here can influence how far the government can go. For example, there was yes. a lot of focus recently on the now former justice minister. Uh, and, and while mm-hmm. everyone's looking that way, it, it might be possible to, to make a bit more progress with Japan. Um, right. Are, are there any domestic factors that could either help or hinder the process from the Japanese side? Uh, not that I can see so far. I think that uh, there's a little bit of recovery mode now. I mean, a lot of the reportage here has to do with the um, the devastating typhoon that, that changed even having the motorcade yesterday. So people have been focused on this recovery, and there were, I mean, there's 70-plus dead from the typhoon. Right. Um, and so people have been thinking more about that and less about some of these ongoing tensions and politics. I think for many of us, we like to sort of take a break from <laughs> the political realm. And, and yesterday was certainly one that, uh, you know, for all of the criticisms you can make, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of experience it with other people. And even despite the bad weather that was taking place, yeah. it was rather extraordinary to see all these people coming from around the world. And I'm one who's very quick to often criticize a lot of this, but uh, I don't see any domestic issues per se. I know there were some protests yesterday about the the costs involved, um, but, um, you know, it wasn't a huge number of people. There were people protesting in Ginza and uh, maybe a few people arrested, but by and large, uh, it it went off. There was definitely a sense of the strong security in place and a lot more police presence around. Thank you so much, Professor Snow, for giving us that sense. You're very welcome, and if I could mention that next Friday on November 1st, I will be speaking at Iwa Women's University on Gender and Diplomacy and that'll be through the public diplomacy program. So I think that'll be in the late morning on uh, November 1st, if anybody's interested. We wish you a very successful visit to Seoul Uh, again. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Nancy Snow from Kyoto University of Foreign Studies.